0: Notice that there are some people that are difficult to love, some people that take extra grace to love. One of the things that is interesting about us as people is that we tend to love people who love us. Uh, We tend to enjoy people who enjoy the things that we enjoy. Uh, that we tend to like people who are like us. And yet, purposely, God made human beings different from each other. And that stretches us to say, can I get along with people who have a different personality type, who enjoy different hobbies, who see life differently, differently than I do? Uh, Can I love people who to me seem irritating? If you pay attention to politics or the news at all, you'll notice that the Republicans and the Democrats don't have a lot of love for each other. They tend to have completely different worldviews as to what's happening in our country and what the solutions are to it. And you sometimes wonder, can they not just be civil? Can they not just speak kindly to each other? Why is it on any particular issue they see it from polar opposites? News occurred this afternoon, and so both Republicans and Democrats were looking at the news at different angles and expressing their different viewpoints. And the interesting thing is you would wonder Did God make us so that we would disagree with each other? And the answer is, he made us different on purpose so we would complement each other. It would be very irritating to have a best friend who was a mirror image of you. In fact, you become bored rather quickly, and you would say, I don't even see why a person would like a person like that, and you wouldn't realize you were looking right in the mirror at yourself. When you think of young people as they fall in love with each other, they fall in love with people who, for some reason, have different strengths and weaknesses, and without even realizing what is happening, they're falling in love with a person meant to complete them that actually they are better with that marriage partner than they would have been by themselves. We've been looking at the middle of Ephesians, and this morning we were looking at how spiritual gifts were given to different people differently so that we would sing in harmony, that we would work together in harmony, that we would serve the Lord together Differently, making unique contributions one to another. Tonight, I'd like to back up to the previous chapter and see the prayer of the Apostle Paul as he prays for us to be able to handle the news that God wants us to love people the way he loves people. Loving them for who they are Loving them with their deficiencies and differences, loving them and helping them be all that they can be in service to the Lord. The context of this is that the church is becoming diverse in the sense whereas it began with Jewish people, it is now expanded to Gentile people. And the Jews don't care for Gentiles, and frankly, the Gentiles don't care for Jews. What will happen when you bring such disparate people into the same group and form a unit that is meant to love each other? How will that work? It's like oil and vinegar. How are you going to get this to mix? Do you just constantly shake them up, trying to get them to get along with each other? The answer is found in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm particularly interested in the prayer in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, but I want to read a couple of introductory verses just to get the context of what is being said here. I'll read Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. Ephesians 3, 1. For this reason, I Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles, and then he begins to explain the problem here, verse 6. To be specific, that Gentiles are fellow heirs, meaning we share the same inheritance, fellow members of the body, meaning they have just as much right to be part of the body of Christ the church as anyone else, fellow partakers of the promises, meaning that everything that God has promised to one group, he's promised to both groups. We get all the same promises in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so the question, the huge question is, how will God make it possible for us to love sacrificially people who are different from us? And the answer is, it's going to take work. God is going to have to infuse us to the core of our being with a power that enables us to be able to handle it and get along with people who are different from us. Last time I went to my doctor, uh, he announced to me, you need to get the shingles vaccine. He says, "Uh, you're susceptible, Uh, it's horrible, and in my mind, I was thinking, my father had it, my father-in-law had it, my wife had it, I'm already scared, and he says, You need to take one today, you need to take one somewhere between two and six months from now. You need two doses of this, but you need the shingles vaccine. And so I said, sure, okay, I don't want the shingles. Then he said, oh, I notice you haven't had the flu uh, shot yet. You want to get that today too? And I said, sure, why not? Then he says, tetanus, you haven't had that in the last 10 years, Uh, you would like the tetanus shot today? And I said, sure, might as well, we're getting everything else. Turned out my arm was dead for a couple of days, and 44% of the people who get the shingles vaccine actually get flu-like symptoms, and I did, and so I was kind of half speed the next day. So I announced to my wife, hey, you should get this too. And so she was aware that it was necessary uh, to undergo this, not to ever experience what she had experienced before with shingles. And so she says, I'll get it. Now, whereas I was silly about accepting so many shots on one day, uh, I was warning her, now you could get flu-like symptoms. Uh, She is different from me in every possible way. And other than a slightly sore arm, she has no effects whatsoever. But what happens is they insert into your body, they infuse into your bloodstream a culture derived from shingles itself that causes your body to react to it. It causes antibodies to grow in your body that are specifically targeted toward the shingles virus. So if you were ever exposed to shingles, if your body wanted to react to shingles, it would have all those little Deadly antibodies that just float around in your bloodstream looking for an opportunity to kill something. Infused right into your bloodstream, circulating all over you, is this powerful ability to kill off this virus. What's interesting about Paul's prayer is he says, basically, you know, though it's necessary for you to love your brothers and sisters in your church that are different from you, I realize that's going to be hard for you. And so I'm going to pray. And what's going to happen to you is you're going to have to take on an infusion. This, he says, is the infusion of Christ's love. Because, frankly, your love isn't strong enough. So we're going to strengthen you with the infusion of Christ's love and with his love in you You will be able to love people differently from you. People who normally would cause you to say, I don't know why I would want to be this person's friend. I don't know why I should be friendly to this person. I don't even know why I should be nice to this person. He's just so different from me. And this is what his prayer is. I want God to change you so that you will be as loving as Jesus Christ. Here's the prayer. Ephesians 3, beginning with verse 14. Ephesians three fourteen. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit into the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And then he pauses and said, if you think that's impossible, God can do it. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. When I first started dating Carol, she was volunteering I think uh, with the two-year-olds and then I think we moved to the four-year-olds and I think eventually moved to junior high, but somewhere in there they asked us to work in the nursery. We were both in college and whereas she may have taken care of infants before, I'm not sure I ever took care of an infant and worked in a church nursery before, but I was along for the ride and since they needed our help, there we are together working in the nursery. One of the interesting things about this is I was fairly clueless, and so I was just doing what the others in the nursery were telling me to do. I was trying to listen to them and, without any experience, take care of infants. And, in fact, I, I, I was a little uncertain, like, how do you hold them? How, how, how do you change their diapers and things? You know, it was just beyond me. And to love someone completely different from you may be as bewildering to you as working in a nursery or working with Sunday school kids or being a camp counselor up at camp. You just might say, I'm not sure I'm built to love people that I don't even understand, to love people that are so unlike me. When I was in school, they would put us in these groups uh, for group assignments and they would tell us, now as a team, you're gonna produce a report. And I would think like, I don't wanna work in a team. And they would say, but teams are good. For the rest of your life, you're gonna work on a team. And it turns out they were telling the truth. For the rest of my life, I have been working on teams, producing team reports. It's good for us to work with other people. It stretches us, it changes us. But the real surprise here is he straight out says to us, you're not going to be able to do this, to love people who are different from you, unless you let me infuse you with Christ's power so that you can handle the glimpse of how much Christ loves you. It begins by saying, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, Jews normally prayed standing up, and they normally lifted uh, their head, lifted their hands, and prayed in that manner. It was fairly rare to get down on your knees. You would get down on your knees if you were super serious, and maybe that's true of your prayer life as well. Maybe normally you're just sitting there reading your Bible and praying, or sitting at your desk, or maybe you pray as you drive your car, uh, and you're not as serious as you would be when you get down your knees in your bedroom and put your forearms on your bed and closed your eyes and bowed your head and, and held your hands together and said, I'm super serious now. I'm praying earnestly here. But Paul is metaphorically paying homage to the one true God, kneeling in his earnestness before him because he's saying, what I'm praying for is huge, a transformation of your heart. He says, I'm praying to the father from whom every family in earth, heaven and earth, derives its name. Every creature created by God looks to God as father. The whole concept of father, like our concept of, I had a mother, a father biologically, they reared me in a home, he was my father. All of that concept is derived from the fact that God is our creator. We, therefore, all are in the same position towards him as creatures created by him, regardless of what family we're from, regardless of our ethnic background, our cultural background, the language that we speak, uh, the differences in our preferences. Everyone is the same in the sense that we look to God as the one who has given us life. And since he says we are family, we are because we are people he has created in his image. In the beginning of the actual request is in verse 16, that he would grant you, meaning that he's asking God the Father to give you a gift. But it's not hard for him to give because he owns everything in the universe, Out of the riches of his glory, may God give you the gift of strength. What kind of strength? He wants to strengthen us with power. Power to do what? Basically, to comprehend how much Christ loves us so that it changes us to the point where we have love for other people. It's an interesting change of our hearts. The more we understand how much Christ loves us, the more we will love other people. Because we know what we're like. We know how unlovely we are, unattractive. And for God to sacrificially love us opens our heart to the concept that perhaps we could be infused with power to sacrificially love other people. He wants us to be strengthened with God's power through the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit right into our innermost being. He wants to open up our heart so that we would love each other. My father used to read stories to me when I was a tiny little kid. And I picked up on the Dr. Seuss books and started asking him to buy me Dr. Seuss books. And I learned to read them, some of the first books I've ever read. I read them so often to him uh, that I memorized most of them. I could just quote most of those Dr. Seuss books. You may remember that the story of the Grinch is a Dr. Seuss story. And the problem with the Grinch and why he was such a bad character and hated Christmas of all things was that his heart was how many times too small? Three times too small? That's true of us. We ought to hate Christmas. We ought to hate everybody around us. We ought to only love ourselves unless God changed our hearts. And perhaps you know people like that, grumpy people, people that aren't happy about anything, people who don't even love their neighbors. We need power infused right into the core of our being, right into our hearts, to open our hearts to God's love for us. We need to be strengthened to receive a deepened indwelling of Christ so that we can love as he loves. He needs to penetrate right into the core of our being with spiritual power to open us up so that we will love other people. So if you say to yourself, just pausing for a moment, I've always not cared for a number of different kinds of people, you might say, I'm tracking with you all the way through this because I can think of all kinds of people I can't stand. I can think of all kinds of people I don't even want to talk to. I can think of people who've been mean to me, betrayed me, stabbed me in the back, lied to me. I can think of all kinds of people I don't want to have a thing to do with and I shouldn't have to have anything to do with them. So if you're tracking with me, just think of the thought, however, of all the things you've done wrong or I've done wrong, the lies we have told, the damage we've caused other people, the hurt, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, that we've caused other people. And we begin to realize, I need help because I have problems too. And so he says, let God, and the reason it's a prayer is it's taking a gift from God, and it's taking us being willing to open ourselves up to this and say, Yes, you may infuse me with your love. You can change who I am. I'll let you come into my life, and I will let you give me love for other people. He says... To be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The concept there of dwell doesn't just mean live in. It means be at home in. And the whole measure of how well I've been infused is how comfortable Christ is living at the core of my being. How welcoming am I? You probably gather that I, I travel and I speak uh, all over the place. Uh, next week, I will be speaking in Wabatosa, Wisconsin, flying into Milwaukee, staying in a person's house. As I travel around, staying in people's homes, there are some homes in which people are nervous to host me, and that makes me nervous. And so uh, there. are Afraid almost as to how to show hospitality to me, and it makes me afraid to know how to accept hospitality from them. There are other people who are completely relaxed when they invite me into their home. Mikasa Sukasa, they're just like you know, you know. Here's the coffee mugs. Here's the coffee maker. If you wake up before we do, feel free to make yourself some coffee. We'll have breakfast at such and such a time. Let's just sit on the couch and talk. You you relax when you're around people who are comfortable with you. Now, if Christ needs to be at home in our hearts, the question is whether we're willing to open our hearts to him, whether we're willing to make our hearts his home when he does feel at home in our hearts it changes us because it allows him to have his way with us and he infuses us with this power of sacrificially loving people who we would not naturally love it's through the holy spirit that christ indwells us and this indwelling is a matter of degrees, not like an on and off switch, but more like a dimmer switch where you can have it on just barely or you can turn it on bright. And the question is, well, how welcoming am I allowing Christ into my heart? How much am I allowing him to strengthen me The way in which Paul describes it is being deeply rooted and grounded in love. In our English classes, we weren't allowed to mix metaphors, in Paul's English classes he is. I didn't mean English, I meant he was writing this in Greek. The first metaphor is that of agriculture, of a plant, we could say a tree that puts its roots down deeply. The second metaphor is a building. Let's call it a house, a well-built house, a house that is built on a proper foundation, a foundation that will not move. We've had plenty of foundations moving during these last heavy rainstorms this winter. You probably have noticed uh, these houses that are built on the side of hills that are washed away. Uh, by the heavy rains and the water that's coming through, that suddenly their foundations are cracking and houses are slipping and portions of houses are falling down into the ditch. You get the concept of being well grounded. He is saying that as he infuses us with power to love other people, it has to be grow into us and become a part of us so that we are grounded through knowing how sacrificially Christ has loved us so that we will sacrificially love other people. Different from my wife, I love to sleep. She, on the other hand, considers sleep a waste of time. So as I wear out at the end of the day, I start hinting, hey, you know, you want to give up and let's head to bed. We could sleep. And she's like, oh, I have so much more to get done. The moment I get into bed, I fall right asleep. I put my head on the pillow and she's mad that she's talking to me and I'm not paying attention because I'm unconscious. i must sleep. She has to go through her entire day and evaluate everything that happened that day. Then she has to go through tomorrow and evaluate everything that's going to happen tomorrow and make lists in her minds of things that she's going to accomplish in the next day. Meanwhile, today has had enough trouble of its own and tomorrow will take care of itself. I'm asleep at the time. What's taking place here is God is changing us through building a foundation of us, rooting deep within us, so that we are different people as a result of it. So that even though I may be tired at night, I work with young people. Young people stay up late for some reason. Young people seem to have no concept of waking up refreshed in the morning and and getting up in an early time. They want to stay out as late as they possibly can. They want to get up as late as they possibly can. And so I have to, if I'm working with young people, open up my heart wider and stay up late with them and be chipper and be happy and do things with them. That's stretching for me. That's different for me. That's not what would naturally come to me. But in every possible way where you would say, this is not easy for me, it becomes easier as he infuses us with his love and makes it possible for us to love people who to us would not be easy to love. He puts down these roots deep. He builds a firm foundation, and love is the soil and the foundation of the change that is made in us. We have to grow in our understanding of how much Christ loves us because this is part of what stretches us. He says in verse 18, so that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ. So the work that he's working in you is a deeper appreciation for God's sacrificial love for you. Notice he says, we do this in community. We do this together with all the rest of the believers, all the rest of the saints. We were never meant to live this life alone. We were meant to live it in community. And so we help each other in the body of Christ be infused with God's love and help each other comprehend how much Christ loves us. And so we grow together rather than by ourselves as individuals. He describes this massive infusion in which he says, what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth to come to a deep understanding of the love of Christ? The breadth would be all the people that Christ loves. The length would be the time frame. He loves people into eternity. The height would be exalting us right into heaven and sharing his riches, his inheritance with us. And the depth of his love reaches down to the deepest, most rebellious, most honorary sinner here on earth possible. Christ. Loves and died for people who don't want to have anything to do with him. He took their debt upon himself and paid for it. He took their sins and bore their sins, making it possible for God the Father to forgive them. And he offers them the gift of salvation if they'd be willing to receive it. And when we realize how Open Christ is to love people that we don't want to love, it changes us. And we begin to see other people the way Christ sees them. We see them as people who need to know the love of Christ. If we already know the love of Christ, we say, I want to share with you the love of Christ. And so we do loving things. So often we think that helping people come to know God is only by talk, it's only informational. You'll notice that the way Christ work was complete in the sense he gave his whole presence and being and personhood and life to them as he was giving them the crucial information that they needed to turn from their sins and entrust themselves to him. That without Him, they'd be lost and separated from God forever. That if they want to choose to stay away from God and be their own boss, they could. But that God is lovingly welcoming them, forgiving them of their rebelliousness, and willing to accept them in a loving manner. All of that opens us to say... That much of the way in which we share the gospel is through the love that Christ has placed in our hearts. And much of the way we function in the body and the building up of the body in love is that we love people the way Christ has loved us. This infusion of power to appreciate His love is an infusion of His love that then overflows to say, I care about you so much that I'll do whatever it takes to help you know the love of Christ. The goal then is, of this entire prayer, is summarized in just a singular phrase in verse 19, to know the love of Christ, which he says, by the way, surpasses knowledge. Paul invents a super superlative in this expression uh, where he combines together superlatives in such a way in which you can't easily translate it. You'd say exceedingly abundantly or something that surpasses all knowledge. It will take us eternity to come to a better understanding of how much Christ loves us. So if you feel like your heart is full now, Your heart will continue to grow, and it will grow with more and more and more love and more and more capacity to appreciate Christ's love and more and more capacity to love others the way Christ has loved us. This will go on for eternity, so though you feel like you know it, you come to know it even more deeply. He says it in this way, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Jesus Christ himself, as he indwells us in the person of the Holy Spirit, is God come in the flesh. He is fully God. And he is saying that we then, receiving relationship with God, communion with God, enjoyment of the presence of God and the interaction of him in our lives, so we can openly converse with him and share with him Every thought and feeling and hurt and fear that we have be accepted and helped by how Christ expresses to us sympathy and concern and wisdom and guidance as to how to appropriate his power to work past these deficiencies in our lives we then are filling up to overflowing, bubbling over with the fullness of God, sharing that kind of love with other people. It's an amazing thought that he doesn't just pour out a little bit of love into our lives. He doesn't cut off a little small piece, but he gives us his entire being. An example we have is in marriage, in which when we commit to a person, we say we're committing for our lifetime, and we're committing wholly. We're not holding anything back. We're going to be open books to each other. We're going to say everything belongs to both of us, And you're allowed to know everything about me, and I'm allowed to know everything about you, and we're going to love and accept and ministry to each other, and we're going to do life together. The picture of our marriages are meant to reflect the picture of Christ's love for us. In fact, as a church, we're described as the bride of Christ. And so we get a hint of the love, unconditional and acceptance, and... Ministry and servitude and and help that our spouse gives us is just a little speck of a hint of what it would be like to have Christ indwell us and minister to us in such a way that we're filled up to all the fullness of God. Now, I suppose you might say to yourself, this seems impossible. How could I know the love of Christ? How could I experience Christ's love in such a way that it would overflow to cause me to love people that I more naturally would think would be unlovable? He says, God can do more than you think he can. It really is possible. Listen to how he closes his prayer. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, infinitely more, beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory. When our kids' birthdays run around or Christmas runs around, we we ask them, What would you like as a gift? They they say, well, I haven't really thought about it yet. Let me think about it for a while. And then they'll, they'll come back with ideas of things that might be pleasing to them. Do you realize we don't even know what to ask God for? Or do you know that there are all kinds of things we ought to ask God for that we're afraid to ask him for because we think he'll be offended? Just think of all the problems we endure without his help because we think we'll tackle this on our own, because we think he doesn't care, or we think that he wouldn't want to help us, and that we think we should just do this by ourselves. We harm ourselves constantly by not giving our problems over to the Lord, not asking him to solve our problems, not asking asking him for things big enough He says, he is able to do more than you can ask or think, so don't be afraid to talk to him about it. I invite you, as you open your heart to the infusion of Christ's love, to lay before him huge things in your life, things that you think are insurmountable, and say, I give this to you, and I ask that you would change my heart that you'd make me part of the solution as you would have me do things, but I give this to you and say, would you please do this? It may be hard to love with people, people who are different from us, but God's able. Perhaps we can't imagine that we'd actually function together in one body, but God's infinite and matchless power of love in the life of each believer makes it possible. To know Christ and to experience Christ's love helps us love each other. And his prayer ends by saying to him, to Jesus Christ, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. That means all the way through history, all the way into eternity, God will be glorified by demonstrating his power by unifying the church. Rome just couldn't figure out Christians in the first century. They they wondered, why are they like a family? Why do they kiss each other? These kisses that are described in the scripture are holy kisses. They're a sense of warmth. It's like the way my wife, in her culture, greets everyone with a hug and a kiss she announced to me i need to grow in that area i need to be more warm in the way in which i greet people and so i am getting better you can tell if i'm better if i greet you with a hug and a kiss or if i stand off from you and say hey good to see you too But the early Christians were so familial in the way in which they became like a family, like a body, that Rome thought, what is it with these people? Why are they so loving to each other? And frankly, that would be the testimony that we ought to have. But it's not that we attend meetings in a particular building. It's not that we have a particular belief system. It's that we have the love of God and we love other people. This prayer is transformational and I would encourage us to study it, to pray about it, and ask God to work it out in our lives. Father, we come before you thanking you that you can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. That you love us more than we can comprehend, that you love us more than we even love ourselves, that you're consistent and pure in your love for us, whereas at times we even hate ourselves and are disappointed in ourselves. You accept us as we are and want to transform us from being damaged goods, damaging other people. To being whole and clean and forgiven and accepted and full of love ministering to other people. Oh, Father, we welcome this infusion of your grace, this infusion of power deep into our innermost being so that Christ can feel at home in us as he permeates every aspect of our being with his love enables us to love other people. We pray for your will to be done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.